the short letters of the New Testament, a few reminders, and today we are considering Titus chapter 3. <clears throat> um, as, we, uh, as we wrap up the short letters of the first short letter of the New Testament, the book of Titus, uh, Paul gives his readers some, some great reminders about being a follower of Jesus. Have you, have you ever noticed that a lot of teaching and preaching in the church is reminding us of things that we already know or things we should already know? Um, now, why do, we, why do we do that? Why are my sermons and Sunday school lessons um, often things you've already heard before? You know, didn't, didn't we talk about that six years ago or something uh, or three weeks ago? Why, why, do we have to, why do we repeat things and remind uh, each other of things? Well, the answer is obvious. We need reminders because as human beings, we tend to forget. Just a few moments ago, we partook of the Lord's, sep- the Lord's Supper and Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper because we tend to forget. Uh, if we did not have the Lord's Supper, you know, there's a good chance uh, after 2,000 years, you know, that would long be gone, the memory of what Jesus did for us. But every week, we take the juice and we take the cup, and, um, and, and we're kind of forced to think about what Jesus did, what those emblems represent. Uh, and so the, the Lord's Supper is a great reminder. And, uh, and other things, you know, about God's word and about God's will, you know, we, we, we need to be reminded. Um, how many of you had to be reminded that it's Mother's Day? You know, don't raise your hand. But um, did, did, your, did your wife or your mother have to call you and say, it's Mother's Day? Or did you, did you remember to say it? Did you remember to say Happy Mother's Day to the mother of your children, your wife. Uh, sometimes we think about our moms and we think, oh yeah, well she's a mom too. Uh, so uh, here's a reminder everybody, in case you forgot, it's Mother's Day. Make sure you, you uh, give your, your mom a call. Um, uh, out there uh, in, in, in the, the lobby are two sign-up sheets <clears throat> for two ministries, uh, the communion preparation team and the greeter team. Now, uh, we need to rebuild both of those ministries uh, because uh, they've basically been non-functioning for over a year because of COVID. Uh, as of this morning, I hadn't looked this morning, I should have looked, but uh, as of this past week, there were only like two people on each team that had signed up so far, which is great. Thank you for those two <laughs> who have signed up for those two teams. Uh, but folks, we need more than just two on each team. Um, we need more communion preppers, and we need more greeters. In fact, we need someone that would be willing to lead the greeting team. Um, so, as I introduced the need last week for those two, those two ministry teams, this week, let me remind you of the need for people uh, to serve on our communion preparation team and uh, our greeter team. Uh, let me remind you, uh, maybe you forgot. Uh, maybe you weren't here last week. <clears throat> um, maybe you meant to sign before you walked out the door last week, but you forgot. Uh, maybe you just need a little persuasion to, to, to try one of those ministries out. Uh, sometimes we just need a reminder of things like Mother's Day or, or a need at, at church and ministry. Uh, Paul starts chapter 3 of Titus with a reminder. 
You know, some things, uh, it, the, these are some things that the people there surely already knew. Paul or Titus or someone had already talked about them, but they needed to hear them again. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. Paul says to Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. Uh, Titus, Paul says, remind the people, and the tense of the word, the Greek word remind, the tense is the sense of keep on reminding. Not just one time, I'm going to give you just one reminder. No, it's keep reminding um, uh, of these things. Um, to be subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready to do what is good. To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate. Always be gentle towards everyone. Now, why would anyone need to be reminded of these things? They, shouldn't we? They, common knowledge, just common sense kind of things, Right? You know, as you look at this list, though, <clears throat> one of the things that jumps out at me is how all of them are things that I might not always want to do. <laughs> um, you know, my flesh, my literal flesh, looks at a, a list like this, these restrictions and these required actions, and my flesh says, well, if it's up to me, it ain't happening. <laughs> it, I'm, I'm not doing those things. I'm not going to be subject to a repressive government. I'm just not. Some of these people, they need to be slandered. <laughs> uh, you, you want me to, to do good for them? You want, me to be gent you want me to be peaceable and considerate? My flesh says, thanks, but no thanks. So because our flesh has a mind of its own, uh, and it often is contrary to what the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us wants, you know, we have to regularly be reminded of who should be in control of our lives. Mark, remember, your flesh is not what's supposed to be in charge uh, it, it, because it, it wants things that the Holy Spirit doesn't want. Remember, Mark, the Holy Spirit should be in control, in control of your life, not your flesh. We must do what he wants. So, be reminded again. You know, no one, if you're thinking about the first century and, and, and the time when this letter was written, no one liked the Roman government or its officials, the governors and the soldiers that were always everywhere and, and bugging you and, and ordering you around. <clears throat> so, so uh, uh, but unless, unless the Roman government demands that you disobey God's law, now we need to understand if the government ever tells us to disobey, disobey one of God's laws, then we have the freedom to disobey the government. But unless the government calls us to disobey God's laws, we must be subject to them as Christians. Be obedient to their laws. Be ready to do good for them. To be peaceful. Not mostly peaceful, but completely peaceful uh, in, in, say, a protest that doesn't include fire and looting in the background. Uh, be considerate. If we do protest against our government or, or have an opposition, clean up after your protest and make it like you weren't even there. Be gentle. Be gentle. Speak kind words to the police who are just trying to do their job. 
Contrast that description with the anti-government actions over the past year. Uh, the looting, the fire, the violence, the killing, the screaming vulgar and hateful things in the faces of police. And, and let's throw in the, the, the destruction that took place in the Capitol January the 6th. Uh, you know, th- those people who did all of that violence throughout last year uh, were doing exactly what their flesh was telling them to do. Um, no control, no restraint, only complete and total power given to their flesh to do whatever it wanted to do. And it did whatever it wanted to do. And most of it was very ugly. Spirit-filled followers of Jesus may not like the things the government is doing. And often uh, we don't. And voicing our opinion can and should be done. But only if done as one who represents the Prince of Peace. The, the truth is, violent people sometimes get what they want. Uh, they get their way. You know, a fear of more violence may have affected the way some people voted in this past election. You know, the message was from the violent people was, if you vote a certain way, just know there's going to be more fires, there's going to be more looting, there's going to be more broken glass. Just know that. So you think about that before you cast your vote. And a lot of people did, and it affected the way they voted. The violent got what they wanted, but have you noticed that, that giving them what they wanted hasn't stopped the violence? You know, that's the way it works when the flesh is in control. Its appetite is never satisfied. Our flesh's appetite is never satisfied. It always wants more. But even if a peaceful reaction doesn't get, say, a political result that we want, in the end, you know, peaceful makes Jesus look attractive. Peaceful makes Jesus look attractive. And that should be our primary goal, making Jesus look attractive, much more than any kind of political result that we might want. Kind of relates back to chapter 2 in Titus, as Paul, Paul gives instructions to slaves who happen to be Christians. He, he calls slaves uh, to not give the slave owners what they deserve but rather be subject to the slave owners. He wrote in chapter 2, verse 10, so that in every way they, slaves, will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Attractive. You know, the goal of all of us, whether we're a slave or free or oppressed or persecuted, our goal should be to make Jesus attractive to the lost. And that doesn't come by giving people what they deserve. No, it comes from giving them the same thing God gave us. Grace. Grace. Paul then reminds the readers on Crete what things used to be like before they knew Jesus. So taking a, a, a trip down memory lane, let's look at verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated 
and hating one another. Paul says, remember, remember when, when we, and he includes himself in this, remember when, when we used to be just like them? Uh, we used to act like fools <laughs> by disobeying the laws and by being deceived, by convincing ourselves that our behavior was right. We used to, to be controlled by our passions and our pleasures. Uh, any pleasure that our flesh had, that's what we did. Acting without restraint, remember how it used to be? We were always angry. We hated people and people hated us. Remember that old life? Paul wants uh, Titus to remind everybody. Think about how much better life is now that the hate and the anger is gone. Isn't it great that, that you're no longer a slave to anything and everything that your flesh wants, never being satisfied? Isn't that great? When the Holy Spirit is in control of your life. And then Paul reminds them why their life is better now. Verse 4 through 8. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared... He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us gen generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. You know, we're probably all tempted to think uh, uh, things like, but they don't deserve my kindness. You know, they don't deserve my subjection to their authority. They deserve my malice. They deserve my hatred. That's what they deserve, and that might be true. But then Paul reminds us of what we don't deserve. You know, despite our continued disobedience, we received the kindness and love of our Savior. In fact, he saved us from our disobedience. Not because we suddenly changed and, and we suddenly stopped disobeying and, and we started doing you know, enough righteous things to save us. No, not, that's not why he showered us with his love. No, he saved us because of his mercy. Despite the fact that we keep on disobeying, he gave us what we do not deserve. And when we were washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was applied to our lives, to our sin. Uh, we, Paul says, were now justified. And what does justified mean? It means we're declared not guilty of our sin. Even though we actually are guilty of our sin, Jesus took the punishment for it, so therefore, it's as if we never sinned, even though we did. And because of God's mercy through Jesus, we Christians, we followers of Jesus, are now heirs of an eternity with God. And then Paul adds, this is a trustworthy saying. In other words, you can know that this is true. I'm an apostle of Jesus. Just know it's true. Everything I just said. Surely the, the readers of this letter on Crete knew all of this. They had been taught all this before. Uh, 
just like most of us, know all this. So why do we need to be reminded again? Can we just talk about this? Verse 8, and I want you to stress these things or remind everybody of these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. You know, why be reminded again about God's mercy, about what it used to be like? Why be reminded again so that you will remember why you need to devote yourself to doing what is good, even though your flesh doesn't want to? It's so easy when we're faced with the sin of others around us, whether it's the government or a coworker or a neighbor. It's so easy to react to their sin with sinful behavior of our own. You know, just give them back what they gave us. It's easy to forget about God's grace and God's mercy given to us when we sinned against him. And so when people sin against us, when we forget about that, it's easy to, to give them back what they gave us. Our flesh says, react with an eye for an eye. That's what the Old Testament says. <laughs> eye for an eye. Give them what they gave you. And most of society would agree, oh yeah, exactly. That's what I do. But remembering God's grace and mercy given to you with the power of the Holy Spirit, that causes us, it should cause us as followers of Jesus to not give them what they gave you, but to react to them by doing what is good. The only way that's going to happen is if you let the Holy Spirit lead you, though. Because your flesh, it, 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 has, it wants nothing to do with that. Our flesh hates doing what is good, especially when someone does something bad to us. But doing what is good is, as, as Paul said, is always excellent and profitable for everyone. Because why? It makes Jesus look attractive when we do what is good especially when we do what is good in reaction to someone doing what is bad. And that might lead someone who is lost to accept Jesus and to experience his grace themselves. The next part of chapter 3 is a reminder of how to react to certain people within the body of Christ, people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Let's look at verse 9 and 10. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. And after that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such a person, uh, that, such, that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. You know, some people will argue about anything, won't they? Uh, remember Deflategate? Remember that controversy in the NFL? Deflategate was a national football controversy involving the allegation that New, York, New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady ordered the deliberate deflation of footballs used in the Patriots' victory against the Indianapolis Colts in the 2014 AFC Championship game. The idea was, uh, by deflating the balls a little bit, Tom Brady could 
could hold the ball better and throw more accurately. So that was the accusation. Uh, well, the controversy resulted in Brady being suspended for four games the next year. The team was fined a million dollars, and uh, they forfeited two draft choices in 2016. Now, I just want to be honest, honest with you the way I felt about it during the whole time. I thought this was a foolish controversy. It was a useless argument. Now, if you know Tom Brady, he just switched uh, teams and went to the, to, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in one year, he led that team to the Super Bowl. I don't think how much air in the football has anything to do with Tom Brady's success. Uh, yet, how many hours and hours and hours were spent on sports talk radio and TV talking about how much footballs were inflated or deflated? I, I thought it was a ridiculous argument and useless. You might feel different. That's just my opinion. You know, as Christians, if we let our flesh rule us, we will spend hours and hours arguing about things like inflated footballs in the church. Whether or not we should have them or not, whether we should have them in upward and, uh, you know, that's not fair because you've got too much air in the football. You know, in the first century on Crete, the controversy, Paul says, was about genealogies and quarrels about the Old Testament laws, uh, probably instigated by the group that Paul called the circumcision group back in chapter 1, verse 10. These were probably Hellenistic Christians who were trying to cling to the Old Testament way and really place in the Old Testament way above uh, following Christ. Uh, so these were probably the instigators of these useless quarrels. Today, uh, the church might uh, have controversies about, I don't know, the, the version of the Bible that we should use, which is the most accurate, or, or music styles, or dress codes, or the color of the carpet, or flower arrangements, uh, the order of service, Pews versus chairs. Uh, which interpretation of Revelation is the right one? Is it pre or post or amillennial? Uh, which one should we use as our interpretation? Now, how many churches have been divided and even split because of foolish arguments uh, that did, did, did nothing to advance the kingdom of God, but only advance people's personal agendas and preferences. You know, Paul warns that the church does not need divisive people in it for obvious reasons, because it hurts the mission of Christ to save the lost. So he says, warn them, divisive people, warn them once. You might say, you know, friend, let's stop this. Let's stop this. We're going to agree to disagree about this personal preference of yours. Now, let's get back to saving souls. Uh, and if that continues, then you warn them a second time. Maybe you rephrase it the second time. Uh, and, and if they still want to argue and disrupt, then Paul says, have nothing to do with them. Now, that sounds harsh, and it is harsh. But losing them and their divisive ways is better for the kingdom of God. And that must be the priority. The kingdom of God must be the priority, not our preferences. If you think about it, 
keeping a group of people focused on, on the mission of Christ is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, that's why a lot of churches have vision statements and, and uh, vision plans, and they review it uh, all the time about, all right, this is what our vision, the vision is. Let's remember what our vision is to keep people focused. A whole group of people focused is hard. Uh, because each individual has their own ideas, their own priorities, their own agendas. Each individual has a flesh that wants what it wants. So from, from the first century to today, keeping the body of Christ focused on its mission, which is to seek and to save the lost, you know, it's a series of constant reminders of what the mission is. And what it isn't. Our goal is not to win the election. It's to win souls. Our goal is not to win an argument about a personal preference. It's about making Jesus attractive to outsiders uh, who are outside the church by the way we treat them. And by the way we treat each other in the church. And the way we do that, as we remember that we were the undeserving recipient of God's grace. Verse 8, those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Got it? Good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder of Paul uh, of why we need to do good. Uh, Lord, sometimes we, we need motivation, we need a reason the reason is clear, because people are lost, people need your grace, and uh, we, can't, we can't make Jesus attractive to them. The only way they can get God's grace is through Jesus, and we can't make him attractive if, if we're arguing, if we're fighting, if we're violent, if we're letting our flesh rule and, and, and tell us what to do. So Lord, help us to give full control of our lives to your spirit. And let your spirit show us the way. Sometimes the spirit's going to ask us and guide us and tell us to do things that our flesh doesn't want to do. But help us to yield to it, to him, to guide us. Now, Lord, help us to, to remember what the mission of the church is, of your church, and that is to seek and save the lost. And, and whatever it takes to do that, that's got to be our goal. And help us to evaluate uh, <clears throat> things that we're, that we're advocating what our preferences are and arguments we, we might want to bring up and help us to always go back to what's most important for the kingdom of God and how can we make Jesus attractive to the lost and then go out because of your grace for us and do what is good. Thank you, Father, for this reminder from Paul. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.